To Freedom to Choose, brought to you by Just As I Am Ministries, giving hope to people caught in the devastation of addiction. In this series, Questions I'd Like to Ask God, Rich Kallenberg shares 10 messages about God who loves you more than you can imagine. A God that wants you to understand Him. And yes, a God that welcomes your difficult questions about Himself and the way He runs His universe. Rich found freedom 18 years ago from his out-of-control life of drug addiction and alcoholism when God found him. Break free from the chains that may bind you or your loved ones. Now here's Rich on Freedom to Choose. What is freedom? That's a good question, isn't it? Is freedom just something that we just get to do whatever we want? Is that true freedom? Anarchy, is that freedom? What would happen if we had no traffic laws? Would that be true freedom? It would be chaos, wouldn't it? So what is freedom then? Makes you think, doesn't it? It makes you think. That's our question for tonight. I'd like to start in the book of John. Jesus had got word that his friend Lazarus was sick. But he didn't go right there. And everybody kind of knew that if he'd went right there, he could have made Lazarus well. Are you familiar with the story? Could have made Lazarus well, but instead he delayed. He delayed. And we'll pick up the story here. And Jesus is now discussing this with his disciples. Jesus knows that Lazarus is now dead. It's been four days, okay? And Jesus knows Lazarus is dead. And so he's with his disciples and he's discussing it with it with them. And he and he says this in John eleven eleven. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has what? fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Okay? The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. You know, I mean, if you're really sick and you can't sleep, but all of a sudden you finally break the fever and you're out like a light, and then you get well, right? So they say, okay, if he's sleeping, he's going to get well. He's broken his fever. Jesus says, no. He says, now Jesus has spoken of his death. But they thought that he meant taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. The King James Version says, Lazarus is dead. Okay, very plainly. Have you ever known anyone who has been so chained to their addiction, whatever that addiction may be, that they've been given up for dead? Given up for dead. They're a lost cause. Written off even mourned for. Has anybody ever known anybody like that? You've maybe prayed for them and prayed for them and prayed for them and nothing has happened. And finally, what do we do? Do we just give up on them? What do we do? Let's take this story a little farther. Now, when Mary came to Jesus, where Jesus was and and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, If you had been there, Lord, if you had only answered my prayers, if you would have been there, everything would have been all right. Did Jesus know what was going on? Was he in complete control of the situation? When we're praying for someone, does Jesus know what's going on? Is he in complete control of the situation? 
She says, if you would have been there, my brother would not have died. Sometimes we want Jesus to do what we want him to do, when we want him to do it, how we want to do it, all the way down. We give him a grocery list, don't we? Does Jesus know what he's doing? He does. Does he answer prayers? Yes, he does. When Jesus, sorry, now I want you to, because this is stated many times, I want you to, to think about how much Jesus must have loved Lazarus and loved these people and how much it hurt him when Lazarus died. Notice, when Jesus saw her weeping and, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was what? Deeply moved deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. What do you suppose it would take to take the Son of God and deeply move him and deeply trouble him? He sees death of a friend and he's deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept, deeply moved, deeply troubled. Now he's wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? Now these are people that did not like Jesus. See how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he? Now here is the question. Could not he? who opened the eyes of the blind man, also have kept this man from dying. Jesus, you answered my prayers over here. Why can't you fix this problem? Do we compare problems sometimes? Jesus healed this person, but he didn't heal this person. Must have been God's will. I don't know. Let's go on. Then Jesus, what? Deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Remove the obstacle. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an order, for he has been dead four days. Is he dead? He is dead. Now notice, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Was there a purpose for him going there? and doing what he did in his own time. Okay? So God's timing is always right. Okay? You know, we're just here for a short time on this earth. There is a long time to go. God's timing is always right. And we don't always understand that timing. But it's perfect right here. Now notice. When he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus. Come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound 
with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, and here's the key, unbind him and let him go. Okay, now all this has a specific meaning, what we've just read, and we're going to come back through it again, okay? Unbind him and let him go. That is very, very important. Please do not forget that. This man has been resurrected. He's come out of a tomb, and he is now being unbound by his friends, right? Who ordered him to unbind them? Jesus, right? Don't forget that, okay? Now, let's do a little bit of review. Last night, we talked about King David and the terrible thing that he did and how God actually asked him to write in the Bible after he'd done the terrible things that he did. Everybody remember that? Okay. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he'd gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Now, I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but just a little review. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Does David know who God is? Does David know what business God is in? He does, doesn't he? And notice, restore to me the joy of your salvation, uphold me with a willing spirit. And then David says, then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. I find it so interesting that God can take a man that has done this horrible thing, turn it around, ask him to write a book in the Bible, and not only that, but allow David now to lead people to God. Okay? Now, God is in the business of making bad situations good. We've just seen it twice, have we not? He just took a terrible, terrible situation with Lazarus, who was dead, and raised him. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall with Lazarus in the room after he'd been raised from the dead? Huh? What, what, what was that like coming out of the tomb? Wow. Yeah, God's in that business. So, what we want to establish is God is in the business of restoration. God is in the business of cre creation. God is in that good business. The devil is in the business of destruction. He does not only destroys you and me, he destroys everything that's good that God writes or puts down. He destroys and twists. And we want to establish that as we go through. And as we do that, we will continue to answer questions about God. World-famous brain surgeon Dr. Welder Penfield describes some of his experiences doing what? Probing the exposed brain of conscious patients. Does anybody want to volunteer for that? Let them take the top of the coconut off and stick a little bit of electricity. Nobody wants to volunteer for that? While probing the brain, the subject begins to relive an earlier period of time in the greatest detail. Okay, what he was doing was doing research for epilepsy, and he's probing around in the brain two volts of electricity, and he probes in and he finds 
Now, remember, I said we were going to use science. It's okay. We're going to use science now, okay? And he's probing around, and it's interesting what they come up with. The various sensory components of the event become present, such as visual, auditory, olfactory, and other sense of smell, everything. In other words, when he stuck that, that electricity in that person's brain, that person relived a new, uh, an old experience, but they could taste it, smell it. It was like they were there, okay? You find this interesting? Any, nobody wants to volunteer for this experiment, though, huh? Okay. All right. The neurological sequence is runoff in real-time sequence as the action goes forwards but never backwards. Okay? He described it similar to a one-way street forward from any point at which the stimulation makes an entrance into it. Penfield compared the action to a what? A movie film. A movie film. Now, remember that because this is incredible. So he could stick that electricity in one area, and he might get the person when they've read their first book. They might go all the way back, and it would be clear as day, even though I know I can't remember when I read my first book, but they they would it would stimulate completely forgotten and unimportant events in their lives. All of a sudden, they would come back clear, okay? Or he might get someone at the kitchen counter reading the newspaper one day. Depends. He might move it over and start another movie playing. Kind of would be fun, don't you think? No? Nobody wants to do it still. It's the part about the top of the, yeah, that's not good. But it would be kind of fun to be able to relive in technical your whole life. I don't know, maybe not. I got a lot of bad stuff up there. The experience continues until the stimulus is withdrawn. Okay? Since the most unimportant and completely forgotten periods of time may appear in the sampling, it seems reasonable to suppose that the brain's record is complete and that it really does include all periods of each individual's waking conscious life. Isn't that interesting? Now, by choosing to listen to Penfield, in other words, this is what would happen. Penfield then decided, I'm going to probe the brain. I'm going to start the movie playing. And then I'm going to talk to these people and see if they respond to me. And he found that certain people could switch from the movie to him and back to the movie. Now, he's basically manipulating their brain on playing something, right? But they could actually choose to shut the movie off. What does this mean? By choosing to listen to Penfield in conversation, the patient was able to shut off the effects of the electric probe. Penfield concludes, the will of man is free. We can choose what to dwell on. We can choose whether we want good things in our life or bad things. We can choose what we read. We can choose what we want. We have the freedom to choose. And Penfield has proven this scientifically. There's a lot of people that don't want us to be responsible for our own behavior, so they simply say we don't have the freedom to choose. It's all mapped out for us. And if we don't have the freedom to choose, then we're not held responsible for our actions. Simple equation, isn't it? But it's not true. I can remember back a couple years ago, I was in West Sacramento. And I was driving down a road that was very, very eerily familiar to me. 
And as I came upon this house that was eerily familiar to me, it was the house I thought it was. And there was a man standing out front. And I thought, I'd better get out of here. And then a little voice told me that I needed to stop at that house. And I said, I don't want to stop at this house. Then I drove by. And a little voice says, you need to stop at that house. I said, I don't want to stop at that house. Turn around and go back. So I turned around and went back. And there was my friend standing in the driveway that I hadn't seen in about 15 years. And I pulled up and I smiled at him and he smiled back. And then I said, uh, how you doing? And he said, doing good. And so he motioned me over, and I knew everything was going to be all right then. And I got out of the truck, and I walked over, and my friend came limping over like this. And he had a big lump in his stomach. And I went up the driveway, and I stood in the exact same spot that 15 years prior to that, I told this man that I was never going to use drugs again. In the exact same spot. And it was very, very difficult. And I said, what happened? And he said, I had a stroke. I never stopped using. Man's only 45 years old. He said, I had a stroke. I never stopped using. And I said, what happened to so-and-so? And he said, he's dead. What about the other guy? He's a vegetable. Wow. So this place that I had walked away from, the drugs, the alcohol, and all that stuff, um, I hadn't really thought about in a long time. But as I stood there in the driveway and I started looking around, started jogging memories, and those movies started playing. You ever have movies play? Those movies started playing. And I started telling myself lies. I started adding lies to the movies. You ever add lies to your movies? Huh? Let me show you what I'm talking about. I started looking in the backyard where we used to make the methamphetamine. I said, man, we used to have some good times. Really? That was it. Wow. And you start looking around. And I started romancing this. And I said, you know what? Those good old days, you know, I got my arm around this guy. Good old days, they weren't too bad, really. Yeah, no. The good old days are not that good. That is reality. That is reality right there. But somehow, we can play movies of the bad things that we've done, and we can justify our behavior. In fact, we can put the stamp of approval on our behavior. In fact, we can even say it was really fun. That is reality. Crawling, there's nothing dignified about crawling out from underneath a car at 2 in the morning, is there? God did not design human beings to do that. What a far leap we have come from the Garden of Eden, where God created creatures to hold their heads high and to be dignified and to be masters of their own decisions, of their own will, if you will. We've come such a long way. Remember, the question for tonight is, what is freedom? And remember, in the supermax prison, it's described as living in a tomb, remember? And remember, we saw Lazarus come brought forth out of the tomb, right? And they undid his grave clothes, his grave clothes. Remember that now. Do you wish that you could erase your past like I could wish that I could erase my past? Huh? Anybody? 
Is anybody in? Okay, we've got some people in that boat. We can't, folks. It's history. It's history. We can't erase it. But God can erase the guilt and the shame. That's what he can do. That's his job. Remember King David. God said, I'll erase it so squeaky clean that you can write another book in the Bible for me. That's impressive. That the God that we serve is not going to hold all the garbage, all the stuff that you've pulled against you. He will not do that. That's not his job. He won't hold that against you. He will treat you like you don't deserve for some reason. He will do that. He treated David like he didn't deserve for some reason. But that's what God does. That's who he is. My life was a speedboat going through a five-mile-an-hour zone, leaving a wake of destruction everywhere I went. I don't know how many people I hurt. I don't know how far-reaching that destruction was. It wasn't until, have you ever seen one of these guys on the freeway? What's he trying to do? Somebody say kill himself? Yeah. Because, now, I was on Highway 50. I saw a policeman behind one of these guys. Of course, what's the policeman going to do? He's going to pull him over. So the policeman is not there to get him in trouble. The guy's already in trouble. Are you with me? See, God is not here to get, and I've always been looking over my shoulder thinking that God's going to get me in trouble. He's not here to get us in trouble. We're already in trouble. God is here to pull us over and get us calmed down long enough so we don't kill ourselves. Are you with me? But we get this picture, and somehow, I don't know how it's been painted, that God is just up there going to just waiting to nail us, you know? The policeman is not the enemy here. The policeman is trying to save this guy's life and everybody else is on the freeway from a 10-car pileup. God's trying to keep you from piling your life up. Remember, the question for tonight is, what is freedom? What is freedom? Now, in my past, I trusted my childhood to sports, music, and academics. I had very low self-esteem. I graduated right over here in Lincoln High School, class valedictorian, senior class president, all the stripes on the sweater, head drummer in marching band, stage band, concert band. You know, I just wanted everybody to like me. I had low self-esteem. So if I just did everything I could to make you like me, be the best at everything. But the problem is that runs out. That runs out. And by the time I had graduated, I even had a 40-hour-a-week job, believe it or not, during high school, too. And I owned two cars and, you know, just obsessed with trying to do everything. And I was wore out by the time I graduated. It got me nowhere. I go, here, oh, I'm going to go to college and do it all over again? You're nuts. And so I didn't. I went to work right across the alley at the Chevrolet dealership. And I worked there for a while. But the thing was, I picked up some real bad habits when I did that. And I began to drink and smoke um, real early on in life. I was about 17 and a half when I started doing this. And it, one thing led to another and led to another. I ended up losing that job because I was drinking on the job. So I had problems real early, real addictive behavior. And so I started my own company, concrete company, and I got in construction 
you get introduced to drugs really quick. And of course, they had those little things called crosstops, amphetamines. I did those. And the next thing you know, I was on cocaine. Make a long story short, I went through 25 years, 24 and a half years of serious drug abuse. It ended up at the end of my addiction, I was living in a one-room shack with a dirt floor with the chemicals to cook the methamphetamine buried under my sleeping bag, downtown Sacramento. I had a little Coors keg, beer keg with the front cut out of it and a sewer pipe running out the window. That's how I kept myself warm. I built fires in that little beer keg. A far cry from where the guy who graduated right down the road here, far cry from where he started out with. You know what I'm saying? But it was my choices. It was my choices. My future did not look too good. This is the only picture I have of myself, and this is after I was two years clean and sober. It's off of an old driver's license. Do I love my neighbor? Do love them? Can I feel his pain Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose and this series, Questions I'd Like to Ask God. If you or someone you know is living in addiction captivity and having trouble finding God, Rich and Susan Kallenberg are living testimonials that God does work miracles. They've created a seven-step biblically-based handbook and a recovery workbook to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the addiction recovery workbook for yourself or someone you know, just give them a call and they'll send it to you. 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com As a nonprofit, they're supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com Thank you for listening and remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.